This is the That I May See podcast. Uh, We're here for another episode this week. And uh, just in case you're new, uh, the reason we call it That I May See is from Psalm 119, uh, verse 18, where, where the psalmist, the writer says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law or your word. And so that's what the podcast is about. It doesn't have a super detailed um, formula, uh, but all we want to do is just see f- wonderful things in each book of the Bible and just throughout the storyline of Scripture. And so this week, uh, Miriam and I, uh, for, for those of you who may not know, Miriam Boone is uh, the new co-host, um, so she'll help me uh, lead uh, this podcast. And I'm really excited about that. And this week, uh, Miriam and I talk about the book of Joshua. And so uh, if you're someone who has a problem with some of the texts in Joshua, as many people do, um, there's a lot of crazy things in Joshua there. Uh, we, you know, we meet, a, uh, we meet Rahab the prostitute. We, we have different battles and we have what some think is a supposed genocide uh, that happens uh, a few times in the book of Joshua. And so, um, and so me and Miriam uh, talk about some of those things, some of those things we don't talk about. Um, one of the things that we did not have time to go into in uh, this episode is uh, the, the genocide uh, when it comes to the destruction of, of the, the people living in the land of, of Canaan. And um, I just want to kind of direct you to a couple of resources when it comes to that uh, topic. I, I want to direct you to uh, the Bible Project. Uh, if you go on YouTube or you just type uh, the Bible Project in, on, on Google, and type in Joshua right next to it, um, you will see uh, that the Bible Project provides an overview of, of Joshua um, where they kind of briefly talk about some of those things and make sense of, of that language. I also want to point you to a book uh, called Is God a Moral Monster by Paul Copen. And, uh, and he goes throughout all these different Old Testament passages where there seems to be these problematic things God is doing. And he, and he kind of sorts them out uh, contextually um, and, and biblically. And so I just want to kind of encourage you that there are some resources out there that deal well with these issues and that kind of makes sense um, with the God of the Bible. Um, but I really enjoyed this episode with Miriam. She had a lot of really good insight to share and I love just kind of bouncing off ideas and, and uh, thoughts with her. And so, uh, so yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode as we see uh, wonderful things in Joshua. What's up? Hey, Cody. How you doing? Doing well. How are you doing? Doing good. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was good. Got to uh, eat a lot of good food, hang out with the Edmondsons. So that was really good. That sounds like a great day. What about you? Oh, it was great. We had, uh, it was fun to just kind of have everybody home for a couple days and play games, decorate for Christmas. We, uh, we went to the Christmas tree farm and this year we got, um, two Christmas trees. Okay. So that was pretty exciting. We're going to have a, an outdoor Christmas tree for our social distance outdoor gatherings. Okay. So, um, so we got that in our inside ones. It's going to be pretty fun. That's awesome. Yeah. How was church? Um, good. Um, it's, you know, tricky navigating all the COVID stuff, but right. um, the word of God's always just so encouraging. Amen. So, yeah. We were scrambling this morning. There's 
uh, it was it was wild, but the Lord, the Lord brought together. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what He does. <laughs> Amen. I always think about um, there was a song that we used to sing as kids. I think my dad would sing it to us, but it's based on a psalm, and it said, "says I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord.'" Mm. And I think about that almost every Sunday morning. Like mm. we get to go to God's house. Mm-hmm. Like somebody says, to "You let's go to church." It's like, Amen. man, I'm glad. I'm glad we get to go there uh, Amen. in the midst of all the darkness and evil swirling around us. Like the church is a place where like Christ is the light of the world and his people are the light of the world. And so Amen. to get to go there is just a really special thing. Amen. And, and one thing I've been thinking about too, I'm glad you said that, is that like, I feel that sometimes just as like a uh, Christian culture in America, we downplay um, just how much of the good news of the gospel is church. Mm, yeah. That, like literally like one of the things Paul does in the new Testament so often is he says that like the result of the cross is a new family. Mm. And if we would preach that as much as we preach heaven, Mm-hmm. as the good news of the gospel. Um, I, I think that would, I think we'd really benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, That's but I want to go ahead and, and uh, uh, dive right in um, to the book of Joshua. And um, just to kind of give a small little intro to this book mm-hmm. um, at this time in the story, Moses is dead. He's died. Right. And so the, the, the prevailing question in the very beginning of this book, and, and God answers it pretty quickly, is uh, will God be with Joshua mm-hmm. as he was with Moses? Right. And we know the answer is yes, because you read throughout Joshua. God does the same kind of things with Joshua as he did with Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, they begin to enter the promised land, but it's occupied. Right. It's there in the mm-hmm. land of Canaan and it's occupied. And um, I love what God says to Joshua in, in the very first chapter in verses uh, six and seven. He says, be strong and courageous for you will distribute the land I swore to their ancestors to give them as an inheritance. Then he says it again. He says, above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my service, my servant Moses commanded you. Um, and then he goes on verse eight to say this, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it for then you'll prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Hmm. And I think what's interesting, I don't know, uh, Miriam, have you read anything by Brene Brown? I've read a little bit of her stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I was thinking about this as I was kind of studying Joshua um, she has a new podcast that's out that's, that's free and it's really good. And, and, and she, for those of you who don't know who Brene Brown is, um, she is a leadership expert. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I didn't know this, I'd never read anything by her and I just listened to her podcast. But one of the things that she said that as she kind of surveyed thousands of employees and members and organizations and nonprofits and businesses is that uh, strangely, the thing that people want the most in a leader is courage. Hmm. I never knew that. And I was like, man, that's so interesting because like as Joshua becomes this new leader of Israel, that's the primary thing God tells him to do 
is uh, is to have courage, is to be courageous. And he tells him to do it in two different ways. He says, be courageous, basically, as you kind of enter this land and you're going to occupy it, but also be courageous to obey me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's so good to hear in scripture that um, we don't just need courage in new endeavors. And that's extremely important. But right. actually, it takes a lot of courage to obey God. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, a, in a world that... Um, Right. You just can't seem to make sense of God and and, mm-hmm. and the ways in which he works. And um, and a lot and of yeah. courage to act like God is mm. actually with you, right? Mm. That's right. I love this opening section because I think you see, you know, you talked about earlier, if God's people as a family, if, mm-hmm. if God's people are family, then we see in the book of Joshua that God is intent on his family making it home. And that's this like drive ever since Eden. Um, God mm-hmm. wants his people back home. And that's I right. Think we that's see good. God's just relentless commitment to that through this book. And it's, it kind of struck me as I was reading through it, this interesting parallel yeah. between <laughs> the story um, that unfolds in Exodus and the story that unfolds in Joshua. And okay. one of the things that, um, I just jumped out to me is how similar Rahab and the midwives are. Hmm. They are both these women who come onto the scene really early in the book story Mm -hmm. and they are cunning and they Mm -hmm. use, they use their kind of wits to aid God's people in their journey towards liberation and towards being home. And hmm. I just think that story is really striking. Um, Amen. Think about, you know, sometimes we think about the question, like, do our churches, like, what do, what would our churches do with women like the Hebrew midwives or with a woman mm-hmm. like Rahab? Do we see them as being like this integral part of how God plans to accomplish his work with his family? Um, so mm. I think that's that's really a really cool thing kind of right here off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. Favorite things about the book of Joshua that I wanted to talk about real quick. um, Make sure I don't run out of time. We're good. It's a story that kind of starts um, all the way back in Genesis with uh, Simeon and Levi, who are two of Jacob's sons. And Mm -hmm. this is in Genesis chapter 34. Basically, their sister is taken advantage of. She's raped. And so then they go in and they kind of deceive this whole city. And in Genesis chapter 34, I'll read you the verse about what they do. But basically, they take this whole city by surprise. So it says that Simeon and Levi take their swords, went into the unsuspecting city and killed every male. And Jacob mm-hmm. is not happy about that action because it kind of puts the whole family at risk. And mm-hmm. in Genesis 49, there's this curse that's essentially laid on them. In Genesis 49, verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their knives are vicious weapons. May I never enter their council. May I never join their assembly. <clears throat> for in their anger, they kill men. And on a whim, they hamstring oxen. Their anger is cursed for it's strong and their fury for it's cruel. And then here's this curse here. I will disperse them throughout Jacob and scatter them throughout Israel. 
<clears throat> so essentially he says like they're not going to get an inheritance because of what they've done. Mm-hmm. And I I heard a guy preach a sermon on this once and it stuck with me because I think it's it's so relatable this idea that we can make decisions that kind of ruin our lives, right? Mm. Where yeah. it's not just, and, and I think this is an example of something where it's not just like something that sort of happened to you, but it's like you made a decision and you see the fallout. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can ever get back from this. And I think mm. I've had moments like that in my life. I'm sure you have too, where you just feel like, did I ruin my own life? Because I screwed mm. this up. And maybe I was I was selfish. I was afraid, <laughs> you know. Um, maybe I got angry. And I just mm. I made a decision that feels like there's no coming back from it. And um, what's really cool, and, and the story kind of comes to a, a, a really neat redeeming point in Joshua, which is why I wanted to talk about it. But is the story of the Levites kind of continues on. And there's this this turning point in Exodus 32 that's right after the golden calf. Um, Moses comes down and sees the golden calf. And he essentially says to the Israelites, if you are with the Lord, come over to me. And hmm. Levites are the ones who respond. And they come over. They help, um, they help bring judgment on the people who have rebelled against the Lord. And hmm. Moses tells them, you've, you've you've earned a blessing this day because of your decision to stand with the Lord. And what, and yet you, you look at that, if you're looking at that point in the story, you go, okay, they've chosen to stand with the Lord. And yet the curse is still out there. Like they are not getting an inheritance. They are on this journey to the promised land where they will not get part of the land. And Hmm. even though they've made, they tried to come back to the Lord, it just feels hopeless. And, yeah. and then you see what unfolds in Joshua chapter 13 when they're dividing up the inheritances. And this is what I love because it's so cool because you read something like this and you're like, okay, this person gets this land. This person gets this land. You know, maybe you're kind of skimming through it on your daily Bible reading. I was going to say your mm-hmm. annual Bible reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> I used to have a professor who would always say that. He'd be like, in my annual Bible reading, I noticed. <laughs> like, um, you read it once a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but in Joshua 13, it says, however, he did not give any inheritance to the tribe of Levi. So it's like, okay, this is what we knew was coming, right? Mm -hmm. This was their inheritance. Just as he had promised the offerings made by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, Moses did not give a portion to the tribe of Levi. Yahweh, the God of Israel was their inheritance. Just as Mm. he promised. And so they, the curse happens. They don't get, they don't get any land, but they get God. And Mm. I think it's like the most, one of the most powerful stories in the scripture for people who feel like they've ruined their own lives. There is Mm -hmm. no way in which you can screw up your life that God can't bring it back, that God Mm. can't find a way to, it's what it talks about in Romans, like that God works it out for good for those who love him. And there's right. things that we face and it's like, this cannot get turned for good. There is no way. Mm. I'm sure there were like so many times they sat down and were like, how we aren't getting any land. How, like, what are we going to yeah. do? Well, it goes on to say that they end up, the cities they live in are the cities of refuge. So these people mm. were actually yeah. people of violence 
end up being the people who live in the cities of refuge so other people who've made mistakes can come and live in a place alongside people who can testify to them regardless Mm. of how much you think you have messed up god has still made a way for you to come back to him so i just i think that's that's one of my favorite (laughs) things that kind of yeah so good it's it's pretty cool that is so good yeah what what else do you like in this book what what jumped yeah there's oh there's so much I wanted to I want to talk a little bit about Rahab again. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and the reason, um, and the reason is because Rahab and I know uh, I, I haven't read the book. I need to. I, I know you've read it, but um, uh, I think don't don't they talk about her and vindicating mm-hmm. the vixens? Yeah. And and one of the things that um I realized just in reading different things I hadn't read that yet, but I know that they talked about that. Is this how how many commentaries? really mistreat Rahab Mm -hmm. um, as a character. And, um, you know, she's a prostitute. And, um, you know, what kind of context and and historical context tells us is that back then, there's kind of two things that that happened back then in the land of Canaan. Mm -hmm. And just in the ancient world, in the the ancient Near Eastern world, is that, um, number one, within those, within the wall, it, it would have most likely been like an actual double wall hmm. uh, as far as around the city of Jericho. Hmm. Okay. And it was actually the poor who would make their home or their house literally in between that double, that small double wall. Wow. Which is kind of messed up <laughs> because if someone attacks the wall, <laughs> the first people they're going to harm are the poor. Right. Wow. And so that's most likely where, where uh, Rahab is living. Mm-hmm. So not only is she living among the poor, which kind of even gives you more hints into why she's a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the practices in the land of Canaan um, at that time was that if a family could not pay their debt, one of the things that they would do is sell one of their daughters into prostitution. Oh, man. And, and the reason I think that's so – here's why. Mm-hmm. It seems very depressing. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it is. Is because – Rahab, when she meets these spies, right, these, these spies that are sent to Jericho to spy it out, to see how they can, you know, overcome it and see what it's like. Um, you know, she meets these, uh, these Hebrew spies and she tells them, this is in chapter two, um, she tells them, I've heard of your God, right? I've heard of Yahweh, the God of Israel and how he uh, sent the plagues and he did all these things in Egypt. And the reason I say that is because I bet you I would be willing to put money that in Rahab's mind, right, as she is in what makes the most sense, a forced prostitution, which most prostitution is that way or, yeah. or people come into those situations because of coercion oh, yeah. or manipulation. But she's probably thinking if the God of Israel can free these slaves, mm. maybe he can free me. Mm. And then what you see is he actually does right. it. She's incredible. He frees her by providing her a family, which is the greatest resource mm-hmm. in poverty, so that she would not have to be in that situation anymore, coerced by her family, most likely, right. and by the culture around her to sell her body uh, uh, for money and, and for food. And, and I love that uh, there's just so much redemption in her story that, so many commentators really just just kind mm-hmm. of butcher 
And uh, I was wondering if you wanted to speak to that at all. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. It says a lot about how we sort of think about sexual slavery or sexual exploitation Mm -hmm. that we read about someone being a prostitute. And our sort of first thought is like to to villainize them. And Mm -hmm. um, my experience, and I think people who've even done a lot more work than I have with people who are in some sort of lifestyle like this is you just have Mm -hmm. such a fallout of ways that they've been sinned against both systemically, personally. I mean, you just, the idea that somebody wants to, you know, is just sort of like freely choosing to go into prostitution is a bit of a myth that I think we hold on to if we um, (laughs) want to justify that sort of thing going on and I think the Lord's heart for her is so beautiful because God literally sends I mean you think about God's pursuit of Rahab God frees these men and this this whole people group in Exodus marches them through the wilderness brings Mm -hmm. them up to the city of Jericho sends them specifically to her house like God is always like seeking out the people who are at the bottom, the people who are vulnerable. Mm. Like God sends these men to her house. Like they, mm-hmm. God comes looking for her. And I think you mm. see his heart in, um, Amen. in uh, Joshua chapter eight, when Joshua's reading out loud the law. And at the end of the chapter, it says he's reading out loud all the words of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the entire assembly of Israel, including the women, the dependents, Mm. and the resident aliens who lived among them. Because God's heart has always been to include these people in the covenant. It was never just for Israel. It was never just for the men. It was never just for those who were able to sustain themselves. I mean, it's just it's such a beautiful picture of what God is like. And then I think you see this continuity between the way God is in Joshua and when Jesus shows up and that he makes sure Mm. to teach the words of the law to the whole Mm -hmm. assembly, including the women, the dependents, the resident aliens who live among them. So any kind of sense that women or children or foreigners should be kind of in the back and the main Mm. learning should be done by the men is Mm -hmm. so anti anything that we find in the Bible. That's right. And, and what I think is amazing too, that the new Testament writers pick up on um, intentionally and they include in the story is that thousands of years later, there's going to be, Another mm-hmm. person in Jericho who people who has a despised occupation okay. that God is going to save. And it's yeah. Zacchaeus. And, and 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 you see just all throughout scripture the un, the those who society deems unlikely mm-hmm. converts coming to coming mm-hmm. to God and coming to Jesus. And and uh, we have to wrap up here in just a little bit, but I want to mention something else in Joshua seven. I don't have I don't have time to go super deep into it, but I want to encourage you for listening. To go back and read this chapter, um, uh, if you're not familiar with a man, th- th- there's a man named Achan, mm-hmm. okay? 
And uh, basically, what happens is after they uh, have a battle of some sort, um, Joshua tells the people not to take the plunder. Okay. And by the way, I think this is incredible in in and of itself. It's because this is what every army did. This is what this was. This has been so normal. If you if you conquer a people, you take their children, you you take their their women, you, you take all their possessions, and then you make it your own. But Joshua says, "Don't mm-hmm. do that." Right? Achan disobeys, takes particular items. Mm-hmm. Right? Says he has he took um, silver, a cloak. This is in verse twenty four, chapter seven, a bar of gold, um, and and all these different things. Mm-hmm. Right? So he disobeys God. But here's what's interesting. When he's judged, his whole family is mm. killed. It says, so all Israel stoned them to death. Okay. Um, it says that in verse 24, then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, took all of the stuff basically right. that he took and his sons and daughters and all of his animals and stoned basically anything that was connected right. to Achan. Um, they they mm-hmm. they killed and you may be like and and, and from our american individualistic mind we're like wait a minute that's not fair right, right? Well, what if what if his, son, his sons didn't do anything and 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 i don't know all the ins and outs of how this is just or not just but, but i will say this this passage and there are many others in the new testament like it really contradict the um 21st century western idea of individualism hmm that you and I are only responsible for the things that we do as individuals. And the scripture just says over and over again that it's just not that right. simple. Right. And scripture also doesn't parse that out. Um in 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 every way we'd like it to. But what we do know is that there's this idea of corporate responsibility. And I mean I I mean like for example, like when, when the Me Too movement kind of started, right? And you're seeing all these women come out and say, so-and-so, um, this man, whether it's a producer, actor, business person, this, this man in a position of power um, sexually assaulted me. You see all these other women coming out and saying mm-hmm. the same thing, right? And then you kind of start to get this notion that, um, you know, men have often been awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically through all, all, all throughout history, but even even especially in our, our modern context. And one of the things I kept on hearing from guys that just really kept on mm. like irritating me, them saying, well, mm-hmm. I didn't do that. Not all I men. didn't do that to a girl. I've Hashtag never... not all men. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. You know, and it's like, it's like, man, that's so, that's such a dishonest and, and just overly simplistic way of absolving yourself of responsibility of, the, the culture, so like, for example, there have been times in my life where I've heard maybe like a sexist joke, mm-hmm. right? Talking about women. Well, to my shame, there have been times where like, I've like either laughed at it or it I have not pushed yeah. back on it. And what that does is that actually makes me responsible mm-hmm. for harm to some degree that happens to women because I have allowed an environment to breathe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that demeans women in such a way to where it becomes the cult in the cultural psyche, it becomes okay to, to manipulate them and and to see them as inferior. And um, I I, I just can't absolve myself Mm -hmm. of that. I think you just see that in scripture Mm -hmm. so much. 
um, and many different issues that uh, of this idea of corporate responsibility. Right. It's right. it's just I, I, I like I, I obviously don't like the fact that Aiken's whole family was killed, right. but I do love the fact that scripture just doesn't let us get away mm-hmm. with so many of the excuses yeah. um, that that yeah. we make. Um, did you want to speak to that before yeah, we kind no, of close? I think, I think you're right on there. And I think we have to remind ourselves that they're, um, you know, it's like uh, it talks about in Romans, just as through one man, judge, you know, condemnation right. is brought. So through one man, salvation is brought. So we don't have That's to right. be afraid of corporate responsibility because we have the opportunity to repent and receive mm-hmm. salvation, receive forgiveness, receive right. grace. And so I think sometimes mm-hmm. our our reticence to acknowledge corporate responsibility is because we don't have a rich enough theology of the love of God and of how right. eager God is to welcome home repentant sinners and to come find them, you know? That's right. Um, That's right. And, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you going to no, say no, something? Good. I'm sorry. Um, I was just going to say real quick uh, as we wrap up two other things to just go look at. If you're listening and you want to go read through Joshua, um, I'll tell all this, but mm-hmm. read through the story in Joshua 10 and um, mm-hmm. notice this thing where they're told to put the neck of the Kings and it's a bit odd, but then go look at Genesis three 15 and kind of ask yourself, what is God trying to say about how he's going to defeat his enemies? Um, it's, it's an interesting one to look mm. at. And then the daughters of Zalafa had in Joshua 7. Yeah. That say, hey, mm-hmm. us to be given an inheritance too. Um, we want part of the promised land. We're all mm. in. And I, I that. I, and I think we need more women of God who That's step a dope up story. and say, hey, like, Everything God promised to us in Christ is for me too. And I want part of it. That's right. That's right. And one of the things I think that story does, and we'll end, yeah. we'll kind of end with this, but um, that story shows you that the daughters of, of Zophahad, they actually are in some ways more obedient to God's words in the very beginning of Joshua, mm-hmm. where he says, be bold and very mm-hmm. courageous. And how do they do that? They do that by asserting their voice, rightfully mm. so, um, and demanding an inheritance that that they are actually doing what God told wow, them. Wow, that's so good. And Rahab does um, that too. Yeah. Joshua was told to be courageous, Amen. and the first person on the scene who's courageous is um, is Rahab. So that's wow. right. That's that's right. So good. Well, Miriam, thank you so much, and thank you, thank oh, you for being yeah, a co-host. I'm, I'm really it. excited to have you on. Every right. every episode. I'm excited um, for judges up next. I've, I've, I know. W- w- welcome I to know. a depression. We're, we're gonna see what uh, wonderful things we can find in the book of Judges. It's gonna be a good challenge. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you All so right, much. I'll see you later. Okay. Bye.